Well, it's fun to be in church, amen? What a privilege to have all of you here on Valentine's Sunday. Wow, what a blessing. Did you find a parking spot? Yes, you made it somewhere. Hallelujah. We have the chain handy. If you're stuck in the grass, we'll pull you out. Amen. Uh, the topic right now, you know, um, Brian was here, Brian and Candace, uh, true to form, the, uh, the day before, you know, the, the morning of the last day of our summit, uh, Candace had seven dreams uh, that morning, so that was pretty cool. Uh, and they were dreams about the church. Uh, and it's not just, I don't think it's just about our church. I believe that God's up to something really cool. Uh, I read you that word last week from Johnny Enlow about, uh, about the 50-foot wave coming in to the West Coast uh, and, uh, and just how God is saying over and over again uh, through prophetic voice after prophetic voice that a love revival is starting right now. Could you handle a love revival? Would that be more cool than like a judgment revival? How many of you could like, which would you prefer? I don't know which you'd prefer. I, I don't know, but, you know, maybe you're wanting those lahar sounds, you know, to echo through the valley as Mount Rainier erupts and we all get wiped out. I don't know. Uh, but I'm thinking a love revival would be really cool right now. Yeah? And so the topic that we're on kind of... Uh, thinking about that atmosphere and what the Holy Spirit is saying and what he's doing, the topic that we're on right now is just creating an atmosphere with us and within us to receive, to partake of, to not miss out on a love revival. Amen? If you've got, if you, if you ever had a date, like if you missed the timing of the date, that was a bummer, right? And like, like, the date or is all like ready to go and you and they had it on their calendar but you didn't have it on yours right or maybe they showed up at the door like all like swank that's an old timey word which is kind of like swag of today or something like that i don't know swank you know anyway they show up at the door already and like you're not ready you ever had that experience you're like, whoa, okay? So now they wouldn't show up at the door. They would just text from the car, right? Maybe Facebook you or something like that, all right? So instant message or, okay, but, but if you've had this experience where you're not ready, that's exactly what we don't want. We want, we want to be fully ready, amen? We want our hearts ready, and I, I just I feel like that's what God is doing with us right now. And it's individually, and we carry this thing individually as we come together. And then as we leave, because we don't live here, uh, well, some of us do. Michael. Michael and a few of us live here. But, but you know, some of us don't, don't live here. And so, you know, we carry, we carry this atmosphere as we go, right? And it's this atmosphere of constant readiness and just this atmosphere of anticipation is interesting. One of the words toward the end of the year, and as we were coming into the, the, uh, the, the newness of the year, one of the words was expectation. I remember one of our prayer meetings, and it was during the Daniel fast, and, and, uh, and just the word was expectation, that we would have a heart of expectation. Expectation for what? For this love revival. 
for this heavenly lover to begin to visit us. Yeah? I just believe that. You know, Jonathan's telling me uh, this week at men's breakfast, Jonathan's telling me, Pastor, the healing hasn't stopped. I'm like, what? Where are you at, Jonathan? So Jonathan's telling me the healing hasn't stopped. That's crazy because, you know, just like three Sundays ago, he was healed that morning. How many of you have been experiencing some healing from the Holy Spirit? This is part, you know, it's the calling card of a love revival is the goodness of God dropping down on us. Can you handle that? And so this is what, just say more. Just say more. We're just ready for that. We want more. So Jonathan is telling me Thursday morning at men's breakfast that the healing hasn't stopped, that he continues to experience healing. Anybody else experiencing healing? Anybody else you've been experiencing healing? Papa Ron, Lonnie. Come on, hands up, hands up, hands up. I saw hands go up. Yeah, some others have been, come on, look around with your hands up. You've been experiencing healing in your physical body. How many of you have been experiencing in the last 30 days emotional healing, inward healing, healing of the heart? Come on, look at that. It's not an accident. It's not an accident that, that, that Valentine's Day is on this day of celebrating the lover of our soul. Amen? So we're just getting our heart ready. The way we get our heart ready, you know, metaphorically, the way we get our heart ready in the natural realm is we put on, we shower. Come on, right? We shower, we put on cologne, we put a little shoe polish on the shoes, or we put on a little nicer shoe, right? We, and we, we just get ready uh, in terms of the outward, and, and we just adjust our thinking, and, we just, and we're just, we just get all ready for this dating, courtship, appearing relationship. Well, likewise, likewise in the spirit realm, as believers, we're doing this in our hearts. We're doing this in our hearts. So much of what I believe Pastor Joel talked about in January was getting us ready, right? Remember the word that Joshua brought from the Lord to all of Israel as they were getting ready to cross over and ready to come in to their promised land was sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. I'm going to do wonders in your midst. I'm going to do amazing things. Amen? So it's readying ourselves, and we're readying ourselves. Last week, uh, I felt like the Lord was saying, along with this posture, along with this this kind of shift and along with us thinking is to embrace a heart of thanksgiving. Just, just embrace a heart of thanksgiving. Receive just a shift of heart. Fact is, superimpose thanksgiving over every circumstance, everything that's going on in life. Was anybody challenged this week? Usually when we leave the sermon... There you go, there you go, five, six, seven of you. Come on, eight. Usually when we leave a sermon, as God drops down something on our hearts, usually when we, then we're challenged in that word. It's like, oh, my word, it was the toughest week to be thankful on the planet. My goodness, you know, just so many things went wrong and so many difficulties and so many challenges. And, And so remember, we talked about looking for the silver lining in the cloud. 
that it's really our perspective that we've got to be we've got to be treasure hunters we've got to be looking for the pearl in the field we've got to look for the thing to be thankful about in the midst of life because failure and imperfection will challenge thanksgiving every time failure personal failure failure in those around you Imperfection. Anybody living in an imperfect world? Anybody living with imperfect people? Yeah, eight of you. That's good. All right, glory to God. Life, this is what makes, this is what makes a heart and a, and a voice of thanksgiving so stinking hard is that we're living in this flawed, imperfect realm and then what happens is our, the, the, the gifting within us, yeah, maybe combined the gifting of administration or leadership or insight or wisdom or life experience or omniscience. Some of us are omniscient. The gifting within us combined with our own difficulty, hardship, wounds, or struggles wants to grab every problem and then put criticism on our tongue and negativity on our tongue. And so the tongue, James chapter 3 says, the tongue is a very ornery thing that has to be tamed. And the only one that can tame the tongue is our lover, the ministry of Jesus, the heavenly lover of our soul, who if we will allow him, he will help us bring correction and control to the tongue so that bitter water doesn't come out of a sweet well. Don't let, we're not going to let, everybody say it together. I will not let my well get bitter and I will allow Jesus, his ministry in my soul to reach up to grab my tongue and to fill my tongue with praise, thanksgiving, that which is good, that which edifies. Ephesians chapter 5, let every word give grace to the hearer. Let every word bring edification. Let no unwholesome talk. What's unwholesome talk? He defines it in Ephesians 5. Words that don't edify. Words that don't build up. Yeah? Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but let every word give grace to the hearer. Grace, the empowerment, the strength, the ability, the the lift that, that they can overcome, that they can persevere, that they can win, that they can do all that is in their heart to do. Amen? So that's Thanksgiving. Today I want to talk about glory. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is part of the aroma. We're putting on the cologne that attracts the Lord. We want to capture his attention. We're putting on the cologne. We're putting on all of the attributes that capture his attention. Amen? So I want to talk to you about glory today. Glory is very similar to thanksgiving. But I want to talk to you about how putting on, 
putting on a mindset, a behavior, a lifestyle of giving him glory draws him near. Putting on a lifestyle, a behavior, an attitude, putting on attributes that give him glory will draw him near. This is like, again, this is like a cologne. This is like a fragrance. There's things we do that literally release a incense or a cologne or a fragrance. How many of you know that? In Revelation, it says the prayers of the saints are like incense that come up and explode in the throne before him. And they draw him near. Yes? In Acts chapter 10, we know that Cornelius' gifts were like incense. It says that his gifts were like a memorial, and this memorial was a sweet smell, and it went all the way into the heavenlies and got God's attention. Giving God glory is one of those things. Giving God glory is one of those things that, that actually, it doesn't, it doesn't make God bigger, except it makes God bigger in our lives. We, it's not that we can add to God, except we can add to God's fame right here. This is part of heaven on earth, is we have to create an atmosphere, we have to create an environment where heaven is welcomed on earth, and an environment where heaven is welcomed on earth is an environment where he is glorified. And again, somewhat like Thanksgiving, it's not just of the heart. It's not silence. Silence won't bring Thanksgiving forth. As it says in Hebrews thirteen fifteen. it's the fruit of our lips. The fruit of our lips shifts the atmosphere wherever we go. The fruit of our lips shifts the atmosphere. The fruit of your lips carries out of your very being the very essence of that which is dwelling within. It's the fruit of your lips. And when the fruit of our lips gives him glory, brings him glory, then what happens is his glory is welcome to shine in that atmosphere. Now, we know glory in the Hebrew, glory in the Old Testament, is the word kabod, and it means weightiness. The word in the Greek is likewise of the same. It means brightness. It means, it means shining forth, and it means weighty, and it means heavy. And so this is interesting. It's interesting that we want God's glory. I loved it when... Dr. Simmons was here, and he talked about, you know, the seven levels of glory. Remember that? So cool. And how we, how we can work with the Holy Spirit to partake in the seven levels of glory, the seven, the seven keys to glory. So we want God's glory in our midst, but do we realize that it's not an accident that his glory shows up? His glory shows up as we reflect glory to him or as we give him glory glory. As we acknowledge his glory, as we ascribe to him glory, and there's three, there's three kinds of, there's three elements or aspects that I want to talk about today as we think about glory. And one of those is just simply like we've done already today, the glory that we bring in worship, in praise, in thanksgiving. 
And this doesn't have to be institutional or corporate, though we've done it today uh, together. We've done it as a church. We've, we've done it effectively. We've done it well. We came and we offered, we sang, and, and singing prompts our hearts, and singing prompts us to give him glory, right? That's one of the very valuable aspects. And it's interesting, but as we, as we sing and as we give him glory, purposeful adoration, worship, as we do that, then it says that he makes his dwelling place there, right? That he inhabits the praises of his people. So we draw him near. So even though, even though we know by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us who believe, there's something about the adoration of him that allows him to spring forth into the atmosphere, and we begin to sense him in different ways, and he begins to move in the atmosphere. He begins to move on our hearts in different ways, and the various aspects of his goodness begin to drop down on us and begin to get activated as we worship him, as we adore him, as we ascribe to him glory. So it's almost like, yes, he's dwelling in you. Yes, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, but it's almost almost like don't don't let him be trapped in a box don't let him be trapped in a box of silence don't let him be trapped in a box of uh, 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 of disattention yes it's so relational we have to think of our god relationship as so relational right If Joel and I are just bumping around the house and we're both doing books and we're both cleaning and we're both paying attention to business and we're and we're just like two ships passing in the night, you know, we're just we're just bumping around in the same house, you know, that's a roommate relationship. But if we pause every so often and release a hug, if we release those words of I love you, you're amazing, you're adorable. Honey, you're special. I'm so thankful for you. If we bring, begin to bring adoration, if we begin to glorify one another and the relationship we have in one another, it releases something new in the atmosphere of the home. And what happens is we move out of roommate into love, lover. Yes? And this is, this is we, we, we've, we've come in today and we do this corporately, but also we do this individually, that as we begin to release or ascribe, David says, the psalmist said, all of those worshipers that came into Zion, they would say, ascribe unto him the glory due his name, right? This is, uh, this is Psalm 29, 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. There's something powerful that happens in an atmosphere where we begin to ascribe to him glory. We begin to recognize the weightiness of his presence, the brightness, the, the, the shining, the power, the splendor, the su- significance of his presence, the majesty of his presence and of his being and all that he is and all that he does. When we begin to put that on our lips, when we begin to ascribe glory to him, then it attracts him near to us. Amen? Psalm 115, not to us, 
O Lord, not to us but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness and because of your truth. Revelation 4.11, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of you they existed and were created. You know, it's interesting in Revelation 4 and Revelation 5, I love it. You know, it says there's peals of thunder. You know, we try to recreate this stuff with our light shows, our fog, our sound. Interesting. But what if in addition to haze, lights, flash pots, lasers, what if in addition to that in any of our gatherings, we have the light shows of his presence. What is it about that atmosphere? It says that they worship him. If you read Revelation 4, Revelation 5, it says they're worshiping him. It says they're casting down their crowns. Crowns of what? Crowns of accomplishment? Crown of life? Crown of righteousness? They're casting down their crowns. In other words, they're saying, you put a crown on me. These are the elders. These are the elders, and these are those that that are now before the throne, and and they're casting down their crowns, and and they're saying, you put a crown on me, but it's unto you that all the glory is due. So as they worship him, it's interesting that as they worship him, the presence is changed and supercharged, and we see these peals of thunder, and we see lightning flashing, and we see like the coolest concert show you've ever seen ever, ever, ever. Millions of dollars couldn't buy a concert show this cool, and it's happening because they're truly worshiping him and ascribing to him glory. That's what we want. That's what we want. That's who we are. Amen? Number two, another aspect of giving him glory that draws him near is living in such a way to give him glory. Living in such a way to give him glory. And this is part of why we encourage one another, part of why we gather together, why do we, part of why we provoke one another, part of why we, we spur one another on, part of why we need one another. Because we want to live in such a way that it gives him glory. Let me read you a couple of scriptures on this. There's so many wonderful scriptures. Some of them are very familiar to your heart. For instance, Matthew 5:16, "Let your light shine. Let your glory. Let the glory on you. Let the brightness on you. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works." This is living to give him glory, that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is interesting. Weight will come to the name of Jesus. Weight will come. Shining, brightness, majesty, splendor, kabod, all of this will come. Jesus, his name will be famous. Father will be famous when people see our good works and recognize that we're of him. Isn't that cool? Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Listen to Second Thessalonians 1 
and verse 11. To this end, we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of the Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. He's fulfilling every desire for goodness so that his name will be glorified in us. The way we live brings glory to him. The way we live, it it becomes even a conscious way of thinking. It's conscious within us, and what I'm about to do, will it bring glory to him? What I'm thinking right now, will it bring glory to him? What I'm saying right now, will it bring glory to him? This is living in such a way that our very behavior, that we're living not so much to please me, not so much that I would have fame, but living that he would receive glory. It becomes even more important than even our freedom in Christ. It becomes more important even than our freedom. 1 Peter 2, 12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, the unbelievers, so that in the thing that they slander you, As an evildoer, the thing that they say about you as an evildoer, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. That's interesting. That's interesting. He says that that some of this might not even be fully understood by those around you until the day of visitation. In other words, until a day of judgment or a day of his coming or a day of his presence or his appearing, a day wherein he brings revelation to them, they might not understand it fully, but you're just going to keep living this way. You're going to keep walking in these good deeds. You're going to keep living in such a way that you glorify him so that in in a, for, in a coming hour, a coming day, they're going to look back and they're going to testify, oh my goodness, wow, they were right. They were right on. Living to glorify God. Living to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. We doing okay? Still out there? Are you putting on some cologne? Woo! This is crazy. This is good. See, I want to pick up the right. I want to pick up the right. Word for this. I grabbed it out of the, uh, I grabbed it out of the, oh yeah, starting. I want to start at verse 23. This is interesting because even though we have freedom in Christ, even though we have freedom to live in such a way that you might have a freedom to live in such a way that, that others don't have that freedom. So this is interesting. And this particular passage is about meat and drink. Here's what it says. All things are lawful and is pertaining to meat and drink, and especially meat and drink offered to idols or offered by those who were unbelievers. Meat or drink that was maybe inappropriately sanctified or blessed. Okay? 
It says, it says concerning this, verse 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. This is crazy. This is interesting. What brings glory to God in the way that we live is that we live in such a way that edifies others regardless of what we think we're free to do. So I'm constantly thinking, does it edify or does it build up somebody else? If it doesn't build up somebody else, then even though I have the freedom for a particular thing, I might not manifest that behavior around them because of their conviction because it would not edify them or the situation. Are you with me? All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is solid in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. But if any one of the unbelievers invites you and wishes and you wish to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions. But if anyone should say to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscious sake. I mean not your conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another man's conscience? For if I partake with thanksgiving, why am I slandered concerning that which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things. Isn't this crazy? Not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many that they may be saved. So he says, hey, if you don't know about a situation, like this meat was sacrificed to idols, or prayed over, just go ahead and take of the meat. But if somebody tells you that it was, then he says, be careful about that. Not for your conscience sake, because you're not worried about idols, but for theirs and what they might think about you. He's saying here that actually the way we bring glory to God or create an atmosphere wherein God is glorified is that we're conscious of those around us in such a way that we live to edify them, not just edify ourselves. Even if we have freedoms, we're careful about those freedoms that others might be edified. Talks about our lifestyle. This is, this is about our lifestyle, that in everything that we're doing, we're thinking. We're, we're thinking, does this bring glory to God? Every activity that we're doing, we're actually thinking, does this bring God glory? And if we're living in such a way that our activities bring God glory, then we're producing this aroma, this incense, where we welcome his glory because that which produces or gives him glory welcomes his glory in that atmosphere. So then... Now, all at once, we sense that there's a higher level of his kabod, his weightiness, his depth, his presence, his ministry, his shining forth, his brightness, his majesty. It's in our midst because we're so conscious. Does this give him glory? Are you with me? The last thing I want to talk to you about is deferring glory to him. Deferring glory to him. How much glory do we retain? How much glory do we retain? 
Is it hokey? Is it, is it goofy? Is it false? Is it weird to say, well, you know, to God be the glory for that? Well, praise the Lord for that. Is that goofy? Is that weird? How much glory should we retain? Hey, great job on that test. Well, to God be the glory for that. Are there ways to give glory for everything? Are there ways to give God or reflect back the glory to God for helping us in everything of life? Or is that hokey? Is that stupid? Is that just weird? Is that goofy? Or is there value to that? Here's what I think. I think that God wants glory in all that we do. And that if we give him glory in every accomplishment, that it draws him near. It is part of putting on the cologne that draws him near. There's, way to, there's ways to say it that aren't goofy. But listen to the word. Listen to the word. Because I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about, could it be your and my, could it be our retaining of glory is keeping us from his glory? Remember in Judges chapter 7, Gideon is called a mighty man of valor, and then he's called to slay the Midianites, the enemies of God. And remember that, Judges chapter 7? So he starts with like 20,000 men, remember that? Uh, and, and he starts with all these men, and then God says that's way too many. And then God whittles them down, he kept, God keeps whittling them down, remember that? And so God keeps whittling the number down until there's only 300. Listen to why, listen to why. See, when, when we are going forward, even going forward in God and going forward to give him glory and going forward with our goals and our ambitions, we want to be able to see how it's all going to work out. We want to check that there's enough money in the checkbook and everything's going to work out. And we want everything solved and just clean and tidy. And, but God's like, if it's that way, I won't get any glory. You're going to retain all the glory yourself because you had it all figured out. And if you retain all the glory yourself, then I can't show up with my glory. So could it be that us hanging on to the glory keeps glory from showing up? Early in the morning, Gideon and all of his men camped at the spring. Judges chapter 7. And the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill. And the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. And they would say, my own strength has saved me. What are you saying about your life? What are you saying about your accomplishments, about your goals, about your cars, about your marriage, about your stuff, about your school, about your current income level? What are you saying? No, I'm not saying, I'm not implying whatsoever that you didn't have something to do with it, but I am implying that by the word, we can do nothing without him. We can do no thing without him. That in him we live and move and have our being. And that no matter how cool we think we are, no matter how amazing we are, see, there's story after story. Why are these stories like this? Why did God do it this way? With Abram, he waits to fulfill the promise until he has no more seed and Sarah has no more eggs. Romans chapter 4. And then it says in Romans chapter 4, it says of Abram, this is why Abram 
pleased God so much, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It says he considered his body was as good as dead. He was 100 years old. He considered his body was as good as dead. But he did not, he did not give in to fear or doubt or unbelief. He actually waxed, it says waxed in the King James. I don't know what that is, like wax on, wax off, karate kid, I don't know. But like he got really strong in faith, giving glory to God, believing that he who made the promise was well able to fulfill it. What do we do? When we, when we are totally out of answers, we're totally out of money, ammunition, we're totally out of seeds and eggs, we're totally out of whatever. When we are in an Abraham situation like that and there's no way the promise could come to pass or the dream could come to pass, what do we do? What do we do? Do we give glory to God anyway? Do we know that that's actually his finest hour? This is actually, Paul says, I will glory in my weakness. Why? Because in my weakness, I am made strong. His strength appears on our weakness. Could it be that our retaining of glory, our desire to be praised, our desire to be affirmed, our desire to be acknowledged, our inability to defer that glory to God and somehow, and somehow say, thank you very much for that compliment. But it's really the help of the Lord that brought that to pass. It's really the strength of God that got me through. It's really the prayers of my friends. It's really, it's really the presence of the Lord that strengthened me. It's really, and can we do that? I'm suggesting to you that if we will defer glory to God, then glory will show up. Let's stand this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Listen to Isaiah 42 as the musicians come. Isaiah 42. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people and a light to the nations to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another nor my praise to graven images. I will not give my glory to another. I will not give my glory to another. I will not give my glory to another. You know what that means? He's extremely jealous. But it's like the most cool jealousy on the planet. When we cooperate with his jealousy, when we recognize it's his hand on my life, he gave me the faith, he gave me the leading, he gave me the clarity, he gave me the wisdom, he gave me the support, he rescued me, he was behind the scenes, he was working in ways that I still don't even understand. When we begin to ascribe to him glory, when we begin to defer to him glory, him who will not share his glory with another, then glory shows up. Glory shows up. Glory shows up. Heads bowed, eyes closed all across the auditorium this morning. It's Valentine's morning. It's Valentine's morning. Your heavenly lover is here. And he wants to invade your world with an atmospheric change. 
He wants manifest presence of glory to surround all that you do. He wants the hair on the back of your head to stand up quite often. He wants goosebumps to become a regular occurrence. He wants tears to flood your eyes and you not to know why. He loves embracing you. He wants to be much more near in a presence-centered, manifest way. But he's asking you right now, would you give him glory? Would you live in such a way that gives him glory? Would you ascribe to him glory? Would you defer to him glory? Would you honor him with all that is within you? Because he can saturate the atmosphere as you welcome him. By giving him glory. Father, we make a shift right now with our hearts all across the auditorium right now. Come on, just make a shift, make a shift, make a shift right now. Make a shift right now all across the auditorium. Just a shift of your heart. Lord, we even just say from now on, from now on, we're going to look for ways to defer glory to you. We're going to make a shift right now. A shift in our lifestyle, a shift in all that we do, a shift even in our worship. We want the light shows. We want the concert of heaven in this place. We want the concert of heaven in our worship closet. We want your ministry more than ever before. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come this morning. To love Revival Church. I just want five or six of the folks right up front. To love Revival. Jesus is healing. Jesus is embracing. He's not done. We came to 1130, but he's still here. He's still willing. He wants you to receive healing in your body. He wants you to receive encouragement in your heart. He wants you to receive a lift of spirit. He, He wants you to receive an answer. There's prophetic destiny in his testimony over you, in his word over you.